Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to the next episode of the second season of Influence. My name is Blake Sokoloff. And I'm Robert Dean. And this week we're doing the kind of 2000s indie garage rock noise rockers, Black Rubber Motorcycle Club. The band started in the late 90s by Robert LaVon Bean and Peter Hayes of the Brian Jonestown Massacre. And so Robert LaVon Bean and Peter Hayes kind of met in high school, I think around the mid-90s, like 95, 96, when they were about Mm -hmm. 16, 17. Kind of pretty quickly bonded over the fact that they liked a lot of, like, the kind of niche 90s music of the time. Like, they liked a lot of the bands like My Bloody Valentine and the Jesus and Mary Chain and Mm -hmm. the Cocktail Twins and things like that. And they, they, it actually took them quite a few years to actually start playing music together. They were kind of just, I think, finishing school. And Peter Hayes ended up kind of staying with Robert LaVon Bean because I guess Peter Hayes' home life was a little, a little turbulent. Rough. Yeah, a little yeah, rough. A little rough. I, I think he would occasionally, I don't know if he was getting kicked out or if his family was just like, didn't have the resources for him or whatever, but... He ended up kind of moving in with uh, Robert Robert Levon Bean and his family, who was actually Robert Levon Bean's father, Michael Bean, was actually the um, front person and one of the vocalists of the kind of '80s post-punk kind of new wavy band, The Call, who had a few hits. So they definitely grew up around a lot of music, like Robert Levon Bean talks about. There always being like a studio or mu- instruments around their house. Yeah. So they they were always kind of jamming together and always wanted to kind of do some music together. And Peter Hayes, in because they were growing up in the similar similar kind of music scene as this this band, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. They, Peter Hayes actually ended up playing in uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre for a couple. About a year and a half, I think, or so. He was on one album, which is the 1997 album, Give It Back, which I'll play a song here called Servo, just real quick, from that album. But I think Peter Hayes couldn't really keep up with all the drama surrounding the Brian Jonestown Massacre a lot of the time and a lot of Anton Newcomb's antics, if you want to hear a little bit more about that. We actually have a podcast from our first season that goes into the Brian Jonestown Massacre and kind of covers that band and a lot of the antics that their front man, Anton Newcomb, would kind of get up to. That's all sort of to say that the Brian Jonestown Massacre are definitely not a stress-free 
<laughs> environment, and there was kind of a lot of band member turnaround. So yeah. I'm not, I wasn't necessarily surprised that someone with as tight of their own kind of musical identity as Peter Hayes doesn't necessarily feel like he needs to be bossed around by Anton Newcomb on just playing what kind of cowboy chords he wants to play or needs to play. So here's Servo from the Brian Johnson album, Give It Back, which featured Peter Hayes kind of in the lineup of the band on guitar and some backing vocals. So here's Servo from the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Well, a great start for uh, Peter Hayes, uh, being able to play with those guys. But uh, he definitely wanted to form his own band and reached out to Robert Levon Bean to uh, get that started. Absolutely. And I mean, that psychedelic Brian Jonestown Massacre influence was definitely something that played played a big role in BRMC kind of finding their own sound. Mm -hmm. And they would actually play a lot of their first shows actually with um, the sort of other band in sort of the Brian Jonestown Massacre family, the Dandy Warhols, mm -hmm. would kind of take uh, BRMC on a lot of their first shows. So they were kind of in that sort of family around. So I, I don't necessarily think they left on the worst terms or anything like that, mm -hmm. but they definitely wanted to do their own thing. And I think Peter Hayes wanted to be a little bit more aggressive with the music he was actually making his uh, in his own right he wanted to mm -hmm. draw a little bit more from some of the harder rock influences that he was he was drawing from and the jesus and mary chain were one of kind of his favorite bands uh and and both both peter hayes and robert levon bean's favorite bands at this kind of period in their in their lives and their young adulthood and late adolescence so here i'm going to play april skies from the 1987 album Darklands which kind of is one of the Jesus and Mary Chain's best examples on kind of that hard rock with almost a little bit of a bluesy edge to it and a very in-your-face kind of pummeling vocal style and rhythmic feel, which is definitely something that the BRMC would kind of cop from the, the Jesus and Mary Chain. But here's April Skies.
great song from Jesus and Mary Chain. And, and, uh, you can really hear the, uh, the influences we get further into BRMC, you know, just the BRMC sound and how some of that really, you know, that influence really had a big impact on those guys. And, uh, they started looking for a drummer, right? Yeah. Robert Levon Bean was kind of typically on on bass guitar a lot mm-hmm. in the early BRMC days, and Peter Hayes on on guitar. And obviously, they would they would kind of switch back and forth a little bit, where sometimes Rob would be on guitar and Peter Hayes would be playing bass, and sometimes they would even just have both of them on guitar or something like that. But they obviously needed a needed a drummer to kind of complete their sound, and they ended up finding a drummer in this guy named. Nick Nick Jago, I believe, is his, the pronunciation of his last name. It's either um, uh, Jago or Jago. I'm yeah, not 100 percent sure. Jago or Jago, sure. but um, there's not that much known about him because he sort of would fade in and out of the of the band for a few years. But he was a British uh, British guy who was just in living in California at the time. I think just because of his his parents kind of ended up moving to yeah. California. But the fact that BRMC had kind of a British guy like they were sort of ended up being seen as kind of a hybrid british american Mm -hmm. band kind of actually really helped their prospects in the british kind of press the british music press which was a a bit a really big deal for any band at that time getting getting talked about in in um publications like nme and things like that were definitely very big for the whole of black rubber motorcycle club's career the uk has kind of always been their number one market and um, like they've had pretty much all their albums have at least gotten into the top 40 of the British uh, UK album charts. And their second album, which we'll talk about in a, in a second, was actually a top five hit. I think it peaked at number two or three. So they've definitely had a, their their biggest successes chart wise are always in the UK. But they 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 were able to kind of, I think, potentially based off of a little bit of Michael Bean's connections uh, in the music industry and stuff. And um, after they got played around a little bit on some of their early tours and shows with the bands like the Dandy Warhols, were actually able to sign a pretty good deal with Virgin Records, um, which is the record label started in the 70s by Richard Branson. Um, and they were like the, a bazillion acts have been on uh, Virgin Records, like Devo was signed to virgin for a while and they had a lot of really really big name artists so it was a pretty big deal for them to get that good of a a record deal right off the bat a big part of that also kind of came in the the fact that the band was kind of coming into form right around the mid-2000s kind of resurgence of indie rock and garage rock style music where you had bands like the strokes and the white stripes also kind of having a lot of chart success and label success and so BRMC Black Rubber Motorcycle Club were definitely kind of lumped into that wave of bands and they released their self-titled BRMC album in 2001 and their first single off that album Spread Your Love would end up becoming kind of one of their signature tracks which we'll play here in just a second and uh, the other single Whatever Happened to My Rock and Roll which is the song we opened the podcast with kind of both of those songs really set the stage for the sound that brmc is kind of going for on this in this early work where it's very noisy and in your face but there's kind of a there's a little hint of some blues influence and things like that with with some of their riffs and solos but it's all very in your face very distorted very 
very Jesus and Mary Chain influence. So I'll just, with uh, without further ado, I'll play Spread Your Love off of 2001's BRMC album. Yeah, some of that bluesy sound, and particularly the first two albums, I think uh, they owe a little credit to Led Zeppelin for. Yeah. Uh, if you want to oh, yeah. reach, want to reach pretty far back. But. Yeah, definitely. And I would like the harmonicas and things yeah. like that are definitely something that bands like that, the, the kind of hard rock bluesy bands, would pull out. Like Black Sabbath is another one, mm-hmm. kind of from that that era that they definitely draw from a little bit, especially in their early early years. Right. And they definitely like that first album came out. Very early uh, 2001, like I think it came out sometime in January. Mm-hmm. So they they were it was almost a, a 2000 album. And basically, like it's it, it, once you're only in that kind of 2000, 2001 territory, it's basically like you're still making 90s music almost. Right. Uh, and so it took them obviously like into by the time their second album came out, which is their last album on Virgin Records. 2003's take them on on your own they kind of started to settle into the kind of energy of the 2000s and their second album was actually very very kind of politically charged and a lot of the lyrics kind of deal with a lot of the kind of u.s um political landscape and invasions and things like that like there's a song called u.s government and i'm going to play uh, a, a little bit of a song just here called generation which is Peter Hayes kind of just lamenting like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the generation I was supposed to be born into or whatever. Just kind of talking about the way that the future at that point wasn't necessarily looking like the way they had kind of envisioned it as as children. And I do think this is one of the things that I think they talk about publicly. They talk about leaving Virgin Records because they weren't able to release enough singles, I guess. But given that their first album off of Virgin Records had the same number of singles as their albums on Virgin Records, I, I I don't necessarily know if that's the case. And I wouldn't be that surprised if some of the political messaging mm-hmm. of, uh, and especially 2003, when this wasn't very, it wasn't super popular to kind of talk back to the U.S. government or anything at this point. I mean, like this is around the same time that the Dixie Chicks got kind of banned from country music just from saying they weren't super proud that George W. Bush was from Texas. So (laughs) I think this album's kind of political messaging maybe hurt some of their mainstream media attention or their mainstream career in in the U.S., but Mm. that wasn't necessarily anything that they were always um, really striving for. I mean, they always knew that they weren't necessarily the major... They weren't a super polished mainstream band like, say, a Coldplay or something like that. They kind of had their own lane and they wanted to make the music they wanted to make. So here is 
generation off of Take Them On on your own from 2003's Black Arbor Motorcycle Club album. Yeah, they're definitely letting their uh, political views be be felt there. And, you know, kind of as an aside, Michael Bean, who uh, obviously um, the father of Robert Levon Bean, uh, was the lead guy from The Call. And their biggest hit led to Day Begin, which we'll reference later. But oh, yeah. uh, that was Al Gore's um, official uh, song for his uh, 2000 yeah, run for president. So there's all these little connectivities here definitely yeah definitely a nice little funny connection almost yeah um but honestly like the that that album was like a major success in in the uk like i I mentioned earlier in the podcast it was it was it was their highest charting album to date in the uk album charts and kind of gave them a little bit more they won a few awards out just like from some uh uk kind of publications and things like that which actually started to publicly let some people in on some kind of issues in the band, kind of most notably when they won, I think it was an award for best video or something like that at the, I think 2003 NME awards Mm -hmm. when they went up to kind of accept the award, their drummer, Nick Jago at the time, just, um, I don't know if he was currently at the award ceremony, like on something, or if he was just trying to be weird or just make a statement or something, but he just, he, he just stood there, right? He, he, they, he got up to like the, the, they gave him the award, they gave him the trophy. And like, usually they get up <laughs> to do like a two or three minute speech and he just, he gets up there and he just stands there silently for something like up to, oh, close, it was like nine or 10 minutes, nine or 10 minutes. And he actually <laughs> had to be like removed by like some of the hosts or someone like that had to kind of physically like push him off stage back to his back to his seat and then it kind of came out I pretty shortly after that that he was leaving the band to right. to go to rehab and I think there were some conflicting statements where Robert Levon Bean and Peter Hayes released a statement as the band saying he was oh he's just leaving mm-hmm. and then Nick Jago kind of came out and was like oh I I'm, I was fired right, so it was right. kind of like a back and forth and people were like confused as to why there were these conflicting statements but Nick Jago ended up not joining them on a few live dates and then actually wasn't really involved in the making of their next album, which was actually their first album for another pretty major label, the RCA record label. They they kind of left Virgin Records after after their differences with that label after after Take Them On On Your Own and then signed with RCA. And they released in 2005 the very country and old time blues kind of acoustic sort of blues mm-hmm. uh influenced album called Howl and um this was honestly partially due to the fact that they didn't really have a regular drummer on this oh, when they were making this album this album was really written as a duo between Robert Levon Bean and Peter Hayes and I think Nick Jago came back at the end and he, is actually on like one song Yeah, he did one um, song and they worked with a couple 
percussionists and session players on a few other songs, but there are a number of songs on this album that really don't have much drums in the at all, or maybe only have some percussion, like some tambourine and mm-hmm. things like that. But I'm going to play one of the biggest songs off this album, the, the one of the singles. It's just called Ain't No Easy Way. And you can really hear, like, it's all almost all acoustic guitars. A lot of the harmonica comes back pretty noteworthily on this album. And uh, they definitely re- let a lot of very, very old-style kind of Johnny Cash sort of country influence rule a lot of this album, which sort of divided a lot of critics at the time because a lot of people got kind of used to their hard rock and noisy indie rock and were kind of taken aback and needed some time to adjust to to howl. But nowadays it's actually seen as kind of one of their high points in their kind of creative output. So here is Ain't No Easy Way from 2005's Howl. Yeah, Howl is a, a great album. Definitely a departure from their earlier stuff, the first two albums, and uh, very stripped down folk almost style uh, yeah. record. But I would take personal opinion, um, you know, front to back. That that's a great album. And uh, then after Howl, uh, Nick Jago was back. Yeah, he was back, kind of, kind of for a little bit of a short. Um run he was he can't kind of came back for a little bit of the howl tour and then he did come back for the for the recording of baby 81 kind of their next album which i'll play Mm -hmm. a track called berlin here off just a second from 2007 but i think baby 81 was made as a little bit of a response to howl being sort of divisive and they did also i think they was also kind of made as like oh nick jago's back so We'll go back to the hard rock and kind of sound. But ever since Howl, there's always been a little bit of this like they they, they always had a little bit of blues, mm-hmm. blues influence to them. But the blues influence from ever since kind of Howl has been more of a like classic kind of like muddy waters sort of style blues and less of that led zeppelin style yeah like the led zeppelin kind of blues rock and more just like the more classic guitar slide guitar heavy kind of blues styling so baby 81 kind of brings back a lot of the really heavy instrumentation and obviously the heavy distorted rock drums but it kind of always kept that authentic blues feel and that's something that hasn't fully left the band's sphere of influence ever since they made Howl. So here is Berlin off of 2007's Baby 81, sort of a return to the maxed out amps for Black Urban Motorcycle Club. Somebody, ooh, somebody, ooh, somebody, ooh, somebody's gonna, Somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna, somebody's gonna, 
right in that period of, um, you know, baby 81, uh, 2008, Nick Jago was out again. Um, and he went on record to say that he had been fired, but that he respected their decision. Yeah. So I do believe there was probably, I mean, he had multiple stints in rehab for whatever issues he was facing. So maybe those stints in rehab weren't really enough to root out the problem. Mm-hmm. And they just figured they were better off with someone else. And ultimately, I do think they they made a little bit of an upgrade. I'm I'm a big fan of their their next drummer. Her name is uh, Leah Shapiro. She had kind of previously been involved in a lot of session work for a lot of 90s and 2000s kind of indie rock style bands. And she had most notably played as a touring drummer for kind of the 2000s sort of shoegaze band, the Ravenettes, who were kind of contemporaries of BRMC. And they definitely knew Leah from playing shows with 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 the Ravenettes and some of her session work and things like that. But she she kind of jumped at the opportunity to join the band. And she was definitely a big fan and kind of talks a lot about in interviews of getting the gig and then spending a lot of time with Michael Bean, learning the songs and learning how to play with with the guys. And just kind of because Michael Bean was sort of like he won, he ran a lot of sound for the band when they would tour. He would kind of be their actual sound guy, but also was just like a big major kind of band mentor and everything like that. Obviously, he had a lot of musical success and just like advice to offer any kind of musician. Leah Shapiro also talks a lot about him being kind of a major catalyst for her joining the band as seamlessly as she did. And most famously, she kind of joined right as they were going in to make um, their 2010 album, Beat the Devil's Tattoo, which would go on to the title track of that album would actually go on to be kind of their biggest hit. It got featured in a number of movies and video games and things like that, but also like it has almost just on Spotify these days. If you look at BRMC's Spotify page, it has almost a hundred million streams. So it's it's by far and away their biggest hit. So I'll play Beat the Devil's Tattoo here in just a second, but you can really hear like there's kind of a new lease on life now that uh, Leah Shapiro was in the in the drummer's chair and they're they're exploring some sounds that like it's a little bit acoustic based like howl, but there's still a lot of depth and a lot of heavy rock energy that they've kind of always been known for. So here's Beat the Devil's Tattoo, kind of a big amalgamation of everything that that BRMC had been working for up to this point. So here, here is the title track from the 2010 album, Beat the Devil's Tattoo. Yeah, definitely a big song uh, for PRMC, and uh, and they toured the whole year, twenty twenty ten. Yeah, that was a it was a definitely a major major tour year for them, and I think they were also kind of granted themselves a little bit more freedom uh, with "Beat the Devil's Tattoo" and kind of every album that has 
has happened since for the band and that they 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 formed their own uh record label mm-hmm. prior to making Beat the Devil's Tattoo which kind of let them have a little bit more freedom they no longer had like major label deadlines being like okay you have to have an album out this year or we're going to stop funding you or whatever so they didn't have to play the kind of major label industry game nearly as much they could kind of just do their own thing and play shows when they want to play shows record where they want to record and everything but sort of unfortunately at the sort of near the end of the beat the devil's tattoo uh tour and everything like it was one of the biggest busiest periods for mm-hmm. the pan kind of because of the success of the title track and the album as a whole but unfortunately actually during a concert at uh i think it was a european festival mm-hmm. michael michael bean actually had a heart attack while in the sound booth for the band and ended up passing away yeah it was in belgium yeah yeah in in uh playing a music festival in belgium and they they completed the last few a uh, last few couple dates that they like kind of needed to do and then just like got off the road and kind of took a year or so kind of off to obviously recover i mean obviously it was big for robert levon bean mm-hmm. but like he was a major player as we talked about before for all three of the members and just like was a very big mentor for the band just mm-hmm. across their whole career and so they 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 talk about when they started coming back to record what would become their 2013 album specter at the feast like obviously that kind of loomed pretty heavily over the songwriting and and like a lot of the songs off of specter at the feast tend to be some of the more most somber tracks that the band has ever released it's actually one of my favorite if not my favorite brmc albums for kind of all the different flavors that they bring but they talk about one of the first things that they kind of ended up recording for the album is a cover of the call song let the day begin with robert levon being being uh, obviously on lead vocals and they they talk about how the song kind of actually kind of formed out of this jam session where they kind of didn't even realize what they were playing and they kind of realized kind of halfway into the jam session that oh this jam we're doing could almost be this call song and mm-hmm. so that kind of ended up leading feeling like oh maybe this is kind of him continuing to almost mentor the band almost um just his his spirit or his energy so they recorded that and released it as one of the singles for the album so i'll play it here in just a second but um it was definitely kind of marks like where they were at for this album and for their kind of headspace at the time just very in remembrance of michael bean and his kind of legacy and kind of impact on the band so here's let the day begin the call cover by black Over motorcycle club from 2013's specter at the feast
great version of that call song. And and uh, one cool thing that BRMC did is uh, they offered that free on their website yeah. for their fans. And I, I just just I really a great. It. Did you? You had it. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, great tribute, and uh, our listeners out there, if you don't know the 1989 call version, uh, check it out. Definitely. It's a great, great track. And actually, Michael, uh, or, uh, not Michael, obviously, Robert Robert Levon Bean actually ended up um, kind of subbing in for his father, Michael, when the call actually reunited a few years back. I think it was a couple years after the Spectre at the Feast album. And he reunited. He kind of filled in his his dad's spot for a couple live shows, and I think they filmed a live video. Roberts on on bass and and vocals, which is pretty cool to see him actually playing that song with the other guys in the call. So yeah. it's been kind of cool to see Robert kind of carry on his his father's musical legacy a little bit. Mm-hmm. But as they kind of went on into the into the 2010s and 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 on, they their kind of influence on a lot of the more psychedelic. And heavier rock bands kind of in that were also kind of making music at the time kind of became more and more prevalent. And one of their bigger uh, influencees, I would say, is the is the band Death From Above 1979. You can find interviews with the uh, front men of that. They're they're just a two piece. So there's only there are only two guys, but they played some shows together in the in the early 2010s and. The guys in Death From Above talk about it being playing that tour with BRMC was majorly influential to them and just like kind of brought them back to feeling like, oh, we can be like this great rock band, even if we aren't like in our 20s anymore. So it was pretty, pretty major for them to kind of see, see that and feel their kind of energy. So I'm going to play. Just the the track frees me off of the 2017 album Outrages Now from Death From Above. And you can really hear that very fuzzy, very noise rock and aggressive sound, but without getting too like punky or anything like that. It has like kind of a heavy, heavy underside to it almost. So here's Freeze Me by Death From Above 1979 from 2017. Yeah, you can hear you hear that direct influence from BRMC there, and and uh, the lyrics and the singing being right up front, and Definitely. that bluesy kind of sound. Yeah, that that heavy bluesy guitar riffs that come in on that chorus there definitely feel like they could have been something from Spectre at the Feast or yeah. BRMC's newest album, The Wrong Creatures. Uh, so here, another kind of big influencey, I would say, is another kind of psychedelic. Uh, band and they also have black in the name so that's probably another little thing <laughs> but uh, the Black Angels kind of another um, sort of newer psychedelic and kind of heavy garage rock desert rock kind of band has a very very uh, BRMC 
kind of influenced sound with the kind of heavy distortion and kind of some of a lot of the drones and more psychedelic effects that BRMC kind of plays into a lot of the time in some of their more dreamy and ethereal music. So here's entrance song off the 2010 album Phosphine Dream by the Black Angels. And you can really hear the kind of heavy BRMC influence on this track. So here's entrance song. Yeah, the Black Angels definitely with a BRMC riff going there. Definitely, yeah. You can definitely feel that that heavy psychedelic influence there. Kind of as the band came into this last like 10 years or so, they've definitely slowed down a little bit. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're kind of their own management now with their mm-hmm. independent record label and everything. They They don't have to deal with any timelines or anyone being like, oh, you have to get this album in now or we'll cut off your funding. So... They definitely have had the luxury to kind of do that with where they're at in their career now. And they also did take some time off for a few years after the Spectre at the Feast tour because Leah Shapiro had some health issues that she had to kind of deal with, which led to her needing some physical therapy to get back into kind of drumming shape. And their last album, 2018's Wrong Creatures, kind of felt really like an encompassing album with their whole sound from their early kind of shoegazy noise rock influence stuff to their kind of more heavy blues influence music and folk kind of stuff and the in the more recent years and this album wrong creatures kind of feels like a an amalgamation of all of that and robert levon bean and and peter hayes kind of both all both also taken some time off to work on other musical and artistic outputs with robert levon bean actually doing some film score work for mm-hmm. for movies like the card counter the oscar isaac flick that came out within the last year and um some other things like that and i think peter hayes doing some production work for other artists as well so they got back together most recently on 2018's wrong creatures album and i'm going to close the podcast out with the kind of lead single off that the uh, the the track called little thing gone wild which kind of has a very raucous very very heavy guitar uh chorus that almost feels a little bluesy like their kind of howl howl year stuff mm-hmm. so they've had a very kind of storied career with a little bit of uh membership drama and things like that like many rock bands right. end, up, end up with over the years but they've been a great rock band definitely one of my favorite and most consistent kind of rock bands of mm-hmm. the last 20 or so years with a fair bit of influence and in kind of the new newer psychedelic rock scene so they're definitely a great band and it's been very fun covering them definitely on this second season of influence so i've been blake sokoloff i'm robert dean and you can follow us now at um influence.podcast on instagram if you want to keep most up to date 
with everything and we're releasing and and here are all some some fun facts about our episodes and things like that so here's little thing gone wild from 2018's wrong creatures by black horrible motorcycle club and this has been the latest episode of influence so thank you guys so much here you go little thing gone wild (laughs) 